Welcome to Go Simcha, the podcast that takes you on an in-depth approach to the Jewish music, entertainment, and Simcha world. Now, here's your host, Zisha Littman. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Go Simple, the podcast. We had so much fun recording the episode, um, but it couldn't have been done without the help of our sponsor, Karen Simchas and Vikalis. We're going to take a minute to hear a little bit more about them. The following episode of Go Simple the Podcast is proudly sponsored by Karen Simchas Chassan Vikala. Karen Simchas Chassan Vikala was founded over 25 years ago and is based in Brooklyn, New York. KSCVK helps widows, orphans, and people who are in dire need of marrying off a child. Working through their network of vendors, KSCVK ensures that every wedding is just as special as the next. Run by world-renowned party planner Devorah Benjamin, KSCVK takes care that each wedding is as elegant as the next one, ensuring dignity and class through every wedding that they put on. To donate to KSCVK, please visit their website, kscvk.org, today. That's kscvk.org, and help make someone's wedding special. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another awesome episode of Go Simcha, the podcast. This is episode three, and we're sitting down with a legend in the Jewish music world. I mean, this guy has been making music and making albums longer than I've been alive, and that's pretty nuts. Um, so we, we have the honor and the pleasure to sit down with Lenny Solomon of Schlockrock today on Go Simple the Podcast, and we're going to learn all about Schlockrock and the, how, how it's progressed over the years. Um, so Lenny, welcome to the show. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you. It happens to be, we're also on the same time zone here. You are local about maybe 10 minutes away from me. Um, but welcome to Go Simple the Podcast, Lenny. How are you today? Well, I'm you- doing great and it's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure. Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. I, I have been a fan of yours since I was like a baby. Like after we spoke that day, after we spoke and we talked about doing the interview, I called my mother and I said, you'll never guess who I'm having on the show. And she's like, who are you having on the show? I'm like, I'm having Schlockrock on the show. She's like, wow. I was like, yeah. yeah. She's like, we were playing those songs for you in the car. I was like, yeah, I know. So, so Lenny, tell us a little bit about Schlockrock. How did it all begin? Like, I mean, you've been making music for, I'm 28 years old, and you've been making music longer than I've been alive. So what's the deal with Schlockrock? What's the story behind Lenny Solomon and Schlockrock? So the first thing uh, is that everybody should know that Schlockrock was not a planned career. (laughs) Um, Schlockrock was one of those moments in time where God said, this is what you're going to do, and then I did it. And how did it happen? So first thing is you have to go back to 1981. In 1981, I'm 20 years old, and I start playing Shabbatons, that's weekends, conventions, for NCSY, which is the Orthodox Youth Group, like USY, like like Nifty, which is Reform, Conservative and Reform. So I was playing uh, weekend conventions for NCSY starting in September 81, and I would watch as the advisors and the regional directors would get up on chairs and they would sing song parodies to keep the kids interested in the Shabbat, to keep the kids interested in the weekend. Because, you know, a lot of the kids there had never experienced the Shabbat. Totally. They didn't know what it was about. And I thought to myself, you know, I can do that. And so I started writing my own. And um, fast forward to 1985 when I went into the studio and I had around 15 parodies, 12 parodies, actually. And I decided I was going to put out an album. So 
I went to this music, uh, um, what's it called? This uh, recording studio in Manhattan called 39th Street Music, which is a place that Ashford and Simpson recorded, where Shaka Khan recorded uh, lots of different. How'd you manage that? How'd you manage to sneak in there? (laughs) Well, first thing is I went to them and I said, you know, we're performing, we're recording an album. It's a Jewish rock album. And they said, it's $180 an hour. And I said, well, I don't have that type of money. And they said, well, you can, you can work from midnight to 8 a.m. And we'll charge you $60 an hour. And we'll give you an engineer, an assistant engineer, and a slave. And I said to them, well, what does a slave do? Slave goes out for coffee at 4 in the morning. Wow. You send the slave out for coffee at 4 in the morning. That's so, a good deal. Yeah, well, we took it. And um, for two weeks straight, we worked on this album called Schlock Rock, Learning is Good. And um, the idea was it would be a comedy album. Because you see, there were lots of parody artists before me. There was Country Yossi and the Stiebelhoppers. There was the Rechnitzer Rejects. In the secular world, there was Weird Al Yankovic, Alan Sherman, Tom Lehrer, Mickey Katz. So I... You know, knew all that stuff. I was, I, I loved that stuff. I also loved regular rock music like Billy Joel and 70s and 80s stuff, and of course the Beatles. And uh, and then I loved uh, Jewish music too. I grew up on Jewish music, Ruach and and um, you know the Asper Yeshiva band and all that stuff. So here I am. I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be a comedy cassette because there was no records. Records had gone out, and CDs had not yet come in, and so you were making cassettes. Oh, so this was a tape? This was the first album? The first released tape in January 1986 called Schlock Rock, Learning is Good. How did I come up with the name Schlock Rock? Very simple. Schlock in Yiddish means secondhand or used. So here we have music, we have rock and roll. It's used music, it's secondhand music, and then I've written new words. That's great. So you've got secondhand music, schlock rock. That's how I came up with it. Now, people either loved the name or hated the name. I mean, I had people come up to me, change the name. Or if you knew what schlock really meant, you never would have called this group schlock rock, you know? And I, you know, the great thing about the name, and, and for anybody that's starting a band, the great thing about the name was that you either loved it or you hated it, but you weren't powerful. There was never, was like, I couldn't care less because you see, as long as they're talking about you, it's a very good thing. For so, sure. It's all so part we of put, it. Yeah. So we put out this thing and right. it didn't really do so much in the beginning. And then all of a sudden, three, me, three months into the release, I get this letter and the letter says, dear Lenny, my brother who hates everything about Judaism is listening to your cassette around the clock. Keep up the good work. Wow. And it was only at that point that I thought, hmm, maybe that's what this is about. Because I didn't expect to do another one. So then I got another letter like that. And then I got a negative letter. And the negative letter was, dear Lenny, I don't want to be chutzpahdik, but if the Abarbanel knew what you did to his song, he's <laughs> only his grave. But they didn't sign it. They just signed their initials. So like I had this this dichotomy where I had people say, greatest thing ever. And other people said, how could you do this? And uh, especially in the beginning, right, we were very controversial among the rabbis. The rabbis would say, what is this? What are you doing? This is an abomination in the name of the Torah. And I looked at them and I said, it's not. 
it's really good. <laughs> it's really good. Now it took them a while to like it, the rabbis, but it took them a, a three, four years, but they, they eventually got it. They eventually understood that it was here to make people feel good about their roots, to teach Torah on an informal Jewish basis. They, people would be learning without knowing they're learning. And is there anything better than that? No. Not no. Exactly. When you when you're getting information and you don't even you, you're not even trying, it's it just comes to you. It's the most so so that was that was the beginning of the of the history of Schlockrock is that that's that's how we started. And then I started working on the second album in the summer and I released an album called Purim Torah. And Purim <laughs> Torah had on it Achashverosh and Wash This Way and Under the Chuk. Yeah. These are all and, songs um, that I grew up on, man. These are like yes, all these songs. Right. Like I, when I was going through the discography you sent me, these are yes. all songs I grew up on. And I'm That's just right. it's like, wow, this stuff is older Most, than me, but like everyone's listening to it. Everyone's into it. And it, it's just awesome stuff. Like I remember so, that album. Yes, it's true. Most English speakers, whether you were born in America or you were born in Australia or in South Africa or Canada or England, you, you grew up on me. Mm-hmm. You, did that was the other thing i i started touring but i'll get to that in a minute so the okay. so in 87 we put out this this album purim torah now at the in september 87 i get a call for a concert now i was playing with a band called kesher k-e-s-h-e-r which okay. in english means connection right kesher was a hasidic contemporary rock band which nice. we which i wrote you know um 13 of the 28 songs on the three albums. I really loved it. Mm -hmm. um, and I left that band. So, so when I got this call in 87, I said, oh, you want, they said, we'd like a concert. I said, oh, you want a Kesher concert? They said, no, we want a Schlockrock concert. And it was only at that time that I said, but of course you want a Schlockrock concert. And I then, I put together the band. That was when I started putting together the band. And the first show that we ever did as a band was in December 1987. Um, we did two shows, a show in Bayonne, New Jersey, and a show in Smithtown, Long Island, for a USY um, weekend. And wow. the first the first Lock Rock concerts that I ever gave was solo shows in Montreal and in Toronto in September of 1987. So what, that was, was this, you with a keyboard? The, yeah, just me with a keyboard. And I think in Toronto I had a drummer from Toronto back me up. Anyway, so that was the start of it. And from 88 to 96, I did 100 concerts a year. Wow. Um, and in 96, in, in July 96, I made Aliyah. So that, and then we started doing tours. I started doing tours. So we did around 40 to 70 concerts a year from 97. But wow. here's the key. When I talk to you about a God um, picky, picked this career for me, mm -hmm. You know, most people, when they go into business, they say, okay, we have to have a business plan. Which market are we going for? What, what crowd? What's our demographics? Who's going to like this? I didn't do anything. The phone rang off the hook. I, it was crazy. The phone just rang off the hook, and I went, and I took my cassettes, and I traveled from city to city to city performing. And we are the only Jewish rock and roll band to have played all 50 states. I've played wow. Australia eight times, South Africa nine times, England dozens of times, Canada, every city where there were Jews except for Winnipeg. 
which I just haven't gotten to. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> you know, Mexico City, and of course Israel, where we ended up moving to. Yeah, I used to see you in the Beit Shemesh concert. I used to that was that, that was always that was always part of my fa- my favorite part of Sukkot was coming out to before I moved to Beit Shemesh was coming out here for the concert and having seeing you guys up there playing and all those other bands up there playing and it was just, it was just always was it was just always put a smile on my face. It was always like so much fun. It but, is, and it's we're still doing it. We're still playing those Sukkot shows. They're, it's it's very nice. nice. Um, it's very nice. And, you know, it's been an unbelievable career. It's been a career that I, I never would have expected. And, and, um, and, I, and now we're up to 39 albums. I'm in the middle of, I'm recording my 38th and 39th album. The 38th album is wow. a parody album, and the 39th album is a Hebrew album, original music. Wow. Um, so I got to tell you another funny story. Do you have time for a funny story? We got plenty of time. We're here for we got, we're here for another forty five minutes. We'll another, we're, we're, so, we're here with you. This is so, this is awesome. So here's what happens. Now, believe it or not, I was working as an accountant. That was my day job, nineteen eighty two to nineteen eighty five. I graduated from Queens College in eighty two, and I went immediately into accounting. That was my career. Now, my dad had told me become a full time musician. But I said, Dad, how am I going to make a living? So I never, you know, I didn't listen to him. So I majored in accounting. He wanted me to get a master's in music at Juilliard and go into music full time. I instead went to Queens College. I majored in accounting and I minored in music. Took a lot of courses in music, but I didn't major in it. Anyway, so okay. um, so the story that I wanted to tell you is this. So now in 85, oh, so after flunking the CPA exam three times, my boss comes to me and says, you know, you're never going to be a great accountant and you're never going to be a great musician unless you pick one of them. You're wow. sitting on the fence, you know, so um, you're sitting on the fence. So I said, okay, I picked music and I figured, and I gave him six months notice because he was a great boss. It took him nine months to train me uh, as an accountant. <laughs> I was working as a, you know, doing write-ups in, in Irish pubs in Manhattan. It was really interesting stuff. Uh, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. Music and math are synonymous. They're very, they're on the same level. According to the Mesilat Yisharim, you know, the Ramchal Sefer, the path of the just, right. uh, he, he equates music with math. So I was very good at numbers and I'm, you know, thank God, very good with music as well. So anyway, so I give him six months notice and I take a job in September of 85 as the music director of the Jewish Public School Youth Organization. Now, that organization was had 40 Hebrew clubs in different public schools in New York and Long Island, and I was the music director, so I would go in there and I would play music. They would be expecting Havana Gila, and I, played <laughs> Born in the US, I would play Born in the USA, making Aliyah today. Now, That's I'm starting nice. to work on an album that they commissioned me to make, which is called Jewish Pride. And while I'm working on that album, I get a cassette from a boy in Memphis, Tennessee named Victor Shine. He wrote a song called Minion Man, and he sent, me, he sent it to me oh. on cassette. So here I am. I, get, I listen to the song, and I think, you know what? This is a good song. It deserves to go on the album. So I rearranged it, orchestrated it, hired Gershon Roba to sing lead on this album called Jewish Pride that came out a month apart from Purim Torah. And we recorded Minion Man, and it became a humongous this I mean, is, this really is one of your big hits. Yes, it's transcended schlock rock. People don't even know that it's schlock rock anymore. They know, they know Minion Man. They don't necessarily know that it's schlock rock. It's so big. Um, and, of course, we did a remake with the Maccabees uh, in March 2015. 
which which has gotten almost a million views on their uh, YouTube channel, which, wow. is, which is really, really nice. So, so Minion yeah. Man wasn't really originally a, your song. You're saying that Minion Man, the song that became like one of your biggest hits, wasn't really originally ro- written by you. This Correct. Guy. I didn't. That's the irony. I didn't write it, but I did adjust it a little bit. I orchestrated it. I arranged it. I just didn't write it. It was written by Victor Shine. Victor Shine now lives in Brooklyn. He's a really good guy. Uh, we're in close contact, and he does he still um, write music? He, I don't know if he does or doesn't. I think he might have one or two songs that he, but he's in another business. Uh, but but it could <laughs> it could be he's got another one or two songs up his sleeve. You know, it would be it would be worth it to ask him that. You know, that's so cool. The guy behind um, Minion Man. But but his Minion Man has has gone everywhere. I mean, it's gone everywhere. That's so cool. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that was really cool. I, I mean, again, your, your music really transcends like every generation, like people know about it, like everywhere and anywhere. And it's just funny. Like I said, I was looking through the, like the discography you sent me and I'm just like, wow, all these songs, I know every single one of them. And it's really funny and really bizarre, but it's just, but it's just amazing. Um, my question is, when it came to all this stuff, like when you're when you're in the middle of recording, like you've done like 38 albums, what was your favorite album to put out there? Like what what was, what was your favorite album to put out there, and what was like one of the best like the best songs you ever recorded, in your opinion? Okay, so that's such an interesting question. People always ask me, "What's your favorite <laughs> song?" Right, and the answer is, I don't have a favorite song. I like them all. I'm okay. There are some <laughs> I like less, some I like more. Okay. Um, but you let me let me tell you right now, I'm working on this album called Shira Yatera. What is Shira Yatera? Now I don't know if people are familiar with this concept, but before Shabbat, there is a, a midrash, there is a legend, or not not a legend, like um a, a, a fable kind of that says that we receive an extra soul and a Shama Yatera before we go into Shabbat. So we get an extra soul for Shabbat. So I came up with this theory that we get an extra song before Shabbat. So I took 17 weeks and 30 minutes before Shabbat started, I wrote whatever came into my head. Wow. I then picked 12 songs from it and I'm in the middle of recording it. And I think it's the greatest album I've ever made. Why am I telling you this? Because <laughs> every album that I make, I think is better than anything I've ever done. So, that's the first thing you should know. <laughs> that's that's funny. Now, you know, because you, you remember how we always hear like Billy Joel when we say, oh, I love his early stuff. Or we hear Bruce Springsteen. Well, he sold out at Born in the USA, you know. Right. Or, but everything before that was amazing. Born to Run and, 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 and uh, whatever he did. Blinded by the Light, which is an original Bruce. So, you know, you, but it's not true. The artist doesn't look at it like that. The artist thinks that every song, every time they're going into the studio, it's to go one level higher than where they were. And I actually think that. So there are some songs that I'm amazingly proud of in terms of parodies. When I write a parody, so for instance, if you go to the Schlockrock Meets the Prophets album and you listen to David Went Up the Goliath, I mean, I just think that's just a masterpiece. Schlagrock almost on Broadway and you hear Gabay of the Shul. I think that's a masterpiece. You know, like I think that there are certain ones. That's that, a funny one. That, that That's actually a funny song. <laughs> well, I think that, that 
every uh, every song has has got a something to it. I mean, I look at a parody as a craft. When I write original music, that's what you're channeling. You're channeling from a pipeline of creativity that comes down from Shemayim, that comes down from heaven. And that, that's how I write. You, that's very cool. You can't write without, you, you're getting inspired and then you get this creative juices and you, and, and you go to the piano and you write, you know? And so I'll, I'll tell you one of my great writing experiences was I put out an album in 2009 called Schlockrock No Limits. It's 12 original songs, of which there are six YouTube videos, really good YouTube videos. Out of the 12 songs, I made six songs of them YouTube videos. And um, I wrote the 12 songs in four days in a a fit of inspiration. I mean, it was like like I was on another planet. That's really Um, cool. I mean, I can totally relate to that. I'm actually a musician myself. And that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm doing this podcast is because I'm very into music. And I play guitar, drum, saxophone, keyboard, and other woodwind instruments. Um, And it's I know what you mean. I can totally relate to you on that one. Because once you're involved in it, once you like pick up like a guitar, like for me, when I pick up my guitar, and I just start jamming, like it just start playing like you're in a totally different world. You're in like DeVacus. And it's just awesome. And then when you start writing, when you start, and I actually know how to write music as well. Um, when you start writing and you start getting into it, it's, just, it, it's like one of the greatest feelings, the most enjoyable things in the entire world. Like, I totally get you. I, I totally get you 100%. So, um, yes, and I have done that a number of times. So, like, I once wrote 11 songs in six days. I once, I wrote an entire rock opera that I'm attempting to make a Hollywood movie. I have a, a movie that I've written, a musical called Daniel in Babylon. It's on, so, it's a musical on the book of Daniel. So that was and, my next question for you about that. I was actually going to ask you about that. What's up with Daniel, Daniel Babylon? I was looking at the website you sent me. I was looking at the website. I was looking at yeah. all the, it's really cool. So it's ready to go. We just need the investor. It's, we're ready to go. Just need the money. The, the budget is $7.2 million. It's not a lot of money for a Hollywood independent film. It's going to make a lot of money, I think. Believe Ezra Hashem, you know, believe Ayin Hara. And uh, we just we just need that investor that shares the vision. So we're, we're looking. We're looking right now. Um, but the, the point is, is that I wrote that entire project in six to eight weeks. The, the music flowed. It came down like water from, from, from heaven. Wow. Uh, I received it. I always say I received the songs. Um, wow. I know it sounds, it's very spiritual, but the, my, my career is a very spiritual career, as, as is all, are all musicians. Sure. Um, you know, so when you, you know, so getting back to your original question, which is, you know, which is your favorite? What's your favorite album? I don't have a favorite album. I, I like, you know, like I could listen to an album and I go, wow, that's really, really good. Now that was that came out in 1993, and I'll listen to another one that came out in 2008. Yeah, I love the sound of that one. Wow, that's good. Listen to those harmonies, you know. So I, I don't do know. You feel it's like just, do you feel like over the years, like start from from the 80s till till now, do you feel like your sound has changed? Do you feel like the like the quality of your songs has changed, or anything has changed, or it's still like the same same Tom, same flavor of schlock rock, but just different, like just different years. Because no, I, I know I, you always change, you know, you always change. I mean, there are times when you'll write a song and, and, you know, you'll think, Oh, I sounds like something I wrote 20 years ago, but most of the time, see, I think, I, I think that, that everybody evolves. Right. Remember also that we're dealing now with a very high level of 
technology when you go into the studio. In the old mm -hmm. days, you know, the editing the, 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 was it was much different. Right now, it's so much easier. Yeah, reel to reel tapes. Now it's Pro Tools. You only have to get close to the note. Then they use Auto Tune, Pitch Correct, Melodyne, all these things. The the singer doesn't even have to hit the note. Luckily, I hit. I'm I'm not <laughs> one of those people i hit notes <laughs> what's your opinion on all those things what's your opinion on autotune and like all those other things because like nowadays a lot of music is all electronic it's all electronically engineered but it's all you hear a lot of these singers now now are into like the techno and like the autotune and all that stuff like what's your opinion on that as being someone who's been writing music and producing music since the 80, early 80s i think all technology is great and it's a tremendous thing i do I do. I think that, um, you know, everything, medical technology, musical technology, uh, you know, it's it, whatever it is, technology, it means that you're doing something faster and more efficient than ever. Um, well, you I know, there are purists that will say you can't hit a, you can't hit the note and you want <laughs> us to change it. So it goes on key. And unfortunately, the, you have to do what you have to do. The engineer does what he has to do, right? No, for sure. 100%. Hey, listen. But I, I don't have a problem with it. It doesn't offend me as long as you make a good song. I mean, really, at the end of the day, is the song good? Is the groove good? Are the chords good? Is the harmonies good? Is the mix good? You know? Right. It's, it's no, for sure. For sure, for sure. It's just funny. Like a lot of people have been comparing you to like the Jewish Weird Al. For a long time, I actually thought he was Jewish, and then I found he wasn't Jewish. And I was like, oh, that right. is a not boy. Jewish, not Jewish at all. But you know, he could totally make a great Jew. Um, well, I'll tell you something. He's, first thing is, he's a brilliant, brilliant man and a tremendous writer. Tremendous, no, for writer. sure. And and not only his song parodies, his original music as well, but. Um, did you ever meet him? You know, I I, uh, I have all of his albums. I I listened. You know, I I haven't listened to it in a while, but I I pull them out from time to time and listen to, to some of my favorites. Um, I've had I've had lunch in Los Angeles with his drummer. <laughs> his, drummer's is, his drummer's name is John Schwartz, but everybody calls him Bermuda Schwartz. That's what they call him, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, we, he, um, I, I like to think that I write like Weird Al. I think it's a big compliment. That's very funny. Yeah. He, that as, was he one of your inspirations to, to get into when you, when you're starting to do all these parodies, when you're starting to get into this, was he one of your inspirations? One of the, one of the main people you look to for, to, to see how can I do this and how can I make it kosher? Like what was, what was going on? I thought about that. I, I think, um, more, you know, country Yussi and the Stiebel Hoppers and the Rechnitzer Rejects. Have you ever heard of any of their music, by the country, way? Country Yussi, yes. Country Yussi, when I was in camp many, many years ago when I was younger, they used to wake us up to Country Yussi every single morning. And mm -hmm. I just wanted to smash that 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 sound box. I wanted to smash <laughs> that megaphone. But yes, well, I've yeah, heard of Country Yussi. Rechnitzer Rejects is also quite good. They, they, they've got their songs. They've got a couple of... But they never toured. You see, what set me apart from them... Is you toured. Is Country Yussi did a couple of shows here and there. But I... I've played Birmingham, Alabama. 
I've played Des Moines, Iowa, Anchorage, Alaska, Columbia, wow. South Carolina. I've, I've played Omaha, Nebraska, and El Paso, Texas, and you name it. Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, That's crazy, man. Fargo, North Dakota, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Honolulu, Anchorage, Alaska. I've played all those cities. I've played, you know, a ridiculous. I toured because you see, I really wanted to be a Jewish rocker. That's what I wanted to be. You know, That's I didn't crazy. want to be a wedding bar mitzvah player. No. Nah. And I didn't want to be a stay-at-home guy. I wanted to tour. The and you road, did it. Yeah, I did. Thank God. Are you the still road, doing tours? Yeah, well, I'm about to go in for a three-week tour right now, August 8th to the 28th. And I've got some tours set up in October, November, December. Wow, that's pretty good. So, you know, but uh, it's not as busy as it used to be. You know, it was it used to be. But, but that's, I think, part of it is because of age, because Schlockrock is 33 years old. Right. You know, you got your new groups out there. You got the the the, the God Elbaz and the and the Benny Friedman and the Simcha Liner and the uh, you mm-hmm. know the um, all of, all the young kids, right? <laughs> the ones that are your age or younger, you know. Right. So you got the the new the new generation. So it's not as busy as it used to be, but I'm still getting calls and we're still performing. But still, it's funny though. Like no one has really done what you do- you've done. Like no one goes on these tours. Like you've done. No one has played. Like people kind of, the, these these musicians that you have that we have nowadays. These singers, these artists, they kind of stay within their Daladamas, meaning yeah. they, they'll stay within yeah. like the tri-state area, or they'll come to Israel for like. No, I like, I love traveling. I love the traveling. Right. So that's what country. really that's what really gave, made Schlockrock like. Yes, band. and that's, I think, what made us the fact that you could mention Schlockrock to any kid who is now between the age of 30 and 50, and they will say, yes, Schlockrock came to Camp Monroe. Schlockrock came to Camp Missoula. Schlockrock came to my temple. Schlockrock came to my synagogue. Schlockrock came to my JCC. Right. I mean, we've done 2,000 concerts. That's crazy. That is and so cool. So th- there isn't any... Comp- competition you you we you have to you know in the old days Safam did like 25 to 40 shows a year and traveled Sam Glazer now has right. done as much traveling as I have who lives in LA Sam you know might be coming close to his 50 states oh really he's he's done all 50 states I, know, I have to ask him um when I see him in LA, I always, you know, we, we, we talk, he's a great guy. You know, all I've met a lot of the Jewish musicians and, you know, uh, so cool. musicians. I mean, I, you know, depend even conservative and reform. Um, you know, I, I once flew on a plane with Debbie Friedman and I, um, I've also flown on a plane with Lipa and with Avram Fried. And, uh, back in the early eighties, I played with Kalbach and, you played, uh, with, you played with Shlomo? Yeah, wow. twice. Wow. With Shlomo. Wow. That's, that's Hushiv. Yeah, he was, I was a Shabbaton. It was a, we were at a, a Jewish leadership seminar and he came as the act and I played keyboard to back him up. Wow. I even, I even sang backup on the famous album of his Shabbos with Shlomo, which debuted the Krakow Niggin. 
That was the wow. first time Back on Egan was heard. I'm singing on it. Wow, you were you were singing back that that's one of that that is probably like one of his most famous albums. That wow. That yeah. is really cool. That, that is really cool. You you've been all over the place. So so what's what's the future hold for Slack Rock? I know we were talking about the, your your new project, the Four Corners project. So tell right. us a little bit about the Four Corners project because I was looking into that. It sounds really cool. And the concept, it, it, it seems to be encompassing everything that you do. You know, you travel all over the world. You, may, you put on these shows. You carve so many people with your music. And you're using that power to, mekar- to, to really bring people closer to Judaism and to Yiddishkeit. Um, so what exactly is that Four Corners project? And how is it going to be, like, how powerful is it going to be? And how impactful is it going to be in the next so coming it, years? You're right. You are 100% right. Basically, what's happened is as follows. The, the, the real question that we all have to ask ourselves, as a musician, you have to ask it, I have to ask it, is, right. okay, we're now in an industry where really people are not buying music anymore, right? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, how do people get their music? They get it online on YouTube, or they'll listen to it through streaming on Spotify, Pandora, or whatever, whatever um, Apple Music, whatever it is. Right. And, of course, the problem is, for a Jewish artist, you need a, a million to a billion streams to start seeing real money. Am I right? Yeah, 100%. Was, right. So even I, right now, who who I'm on iTunes, I'm on 13, 13 of my albums or 15 of my albums are on iTunes. So I'll see a check for $50, I mean, a bank transfer for $50 every six weeks. That's not a lot. So the, So we have to ask the obvious question. How do we make new music right and a bunch of people a bunch of friends of mine sat me down and said listen the industry is disappearing i want you to start a not-for-profit organization that will enable you to keep schlocking that will enable you to keep creating and keep producing and keep even performing in certain instances and so the four corners project was born with the mission to reach the jews scattered to the four corners of the world through music and media and the, the website is www.4 the number four cornersproject.org and if you go on there you'll you'll see the entire thing we this year i had a webisode where i released 20 episodes of of um of a, of a webisode called jim jewish inspirational musical messages i put out eight new parodies which are all available for free both on youtube and on the website. I put out a new Hebrew song. I put out a new music video. Um, so content, we're putting out content. And the, the main purpose of the content is Jewish pride, Jewish identity, Jewish awareness, Jewish continuity through music, and bottom line, Jewish education to teach people to like their heritage. Because in this day and age, if you don't like your heritage, you leave it. And so... Yeah, for sure. You know, yeah. we have evolved to that. That's where Schlockrock has evolved to. Now, Schlockrock continues. But in, in a lot of cases, all the new music that I make are being paid for or sponsored by the Four Corners Project. And I would ask any listeners out there that grew up with Schlockrock, go to this website, make a donation, because it's just so worthwhile. I think Schlockrock and, and the music of Schlockrock is the greatest um you know, outreach or informal Jewish educational tool in the 20th century heading into the 21st century. And it's so important. 
No, I totally agree with you on that one. Um, it, it's I'm like yeah, I looked at, I took a look at the website and it it's really cool what you're doing with it. It's really cool how you've taken your music that you've been doing for decades and now putting it on this platform as a way to educate people. And you know how we were talking before about you know with any like you're trying what type of demographic are you looking for? What type of people are you trying to target? Best part about your music is that you're very you know how we say in Hebrew clearly it's like very you're like you're very like general. You you target everybody anybody who ha- who can be connected to to Judaism to Yiddishkeit through the sparks of music, and I think yeah. I, that's what I've always admired about you and your band is that you guys have this innate ability to connect with anybody anywhere around the world, and that yeah. and it's it's just so powerful. And the fact that you're using this tool for good, so much good in so much good, is is amazing, and even like your parodies, like that's the thing, like you're taking these parodies, you're taking all these like songs, these non-Jewish songs and, and, and bringing Kedusha to them and teaching people how to, how to, how, how about Judaism. It's amazing. It's, it's seriously amazing. Thank um, you very much. It, 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 you know, it's, you have to, and, and we, we're not political. You'll never see us take a political stand. We're nope. not getting involved in politics, no left wing, no right wing. <laughs> that's not what we're about. We're about music. We're about music and we're about Judaism and, and the combination of the two and, and, uh, and teaching. That's what they used to say in the seventies. It's about the music, man. It's all about the music. Right. It's true. It is about the music because the music goes straight to the soul. Mm -hmm. And you can't, um, you, you, you can't, I can't stop doing it. I have to keep doing it. So the four corners project is the extension of Schlockrock. It is the way that Schlockrock can continue in a time. Obviously, I can keep performing and just keep performing the old material. And the truth of the matter is, is that when I come to a place, most of the time they say, Lenny, play the early stuff, play the early stuff. So I do, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I'll play uh, four or five new tunes that I want to play, but everything else are the hits people grew up with. A Barbanel, We've Got a Strong Desire, Yo 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 Yamaka, My Menorah, Rashi, you know. So, so that's what I was gonna ask you. You just mentioned Yo Yo Yamaka. You got you have Eitan G as your as your as your rapper. How did you guys get into? How did you guys get into Jewish rap? You guys are like the first guys to do Jew, to get into the Jewish rap scene. Would you uh, say? Very, very uh, yes. Yeah. So <laughs> what happened was is that Eitan G, um, you know, you talk about you were young growing up on on schlock rock. So in 1983, yeah. 84, I came to Seaboard NCSY, which is the Baltimore, Philadelphia, Washington and Virginia, um, you know, region, I guess, region of NCSY. And Eitan G was a kid growing up and he grew up on us. And um, I saw his talent and I, I said, this guy's got something. I, 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 I've got to bottle it. And I, I brought it on stage. I brought him on stage and he became after my first guys after, you know, my first guys kind of grew up because remember I never grown up, <laughs> but my boys, they all got day jobs. One became a dentist. One became a doctor. One became a lawyer. One went into, you know, EMT medical, you know, all that stuff. Right. I, one was a stockbroker. I, um, was, I've been a musician since 1985 and, um, so Eitan G has gone on the road with me a lot and he 
has toured with me. And um, I wrote with uh, Rabbi Joey Friedman, who's now a rabbi in Denver. We wrote Bless On It, Boogie in the Shul. Wash This Way was written by Eitan G. and Michael Retches, which I then edited. Uh, uh, he, they also wrote Achashverosh together. Um, nice. And then the next song after that was Yo-Yo-Yo Yamaka. And the Yo-Yo Yamaka I wrote because basically I said, I can write this. I can write my own raps. I don't need to take a rap song that exists <laughs> and parody it. And so we had Yo-Yo-Yo Yamaka, and then me and Eitanji wrote Be Good, Be Cool, Be Jewish together. And uh, we also wrote uh, Making a Motzi together. And, um, and, and so on and so forth, until we had 15 or 16 of them, and we put out a rap compilation called J-Rap City. But the, the, uh, the, the G, or Eitanji, uh, would start off strictly as a rapper, and then eventually I said, no, no. I want you to be on stage the entire time. You'll sing harmonies, which he learned how to do. And you'll also patter back and forth with me, you know, because it makes it fun. It makes the show fun. It, it, it makes it exciting. It gives it energy. Energy is the key to, to performance. You need energy. You need good energy. Because if people are standing still, you know, it's it's not so exciting. And, and this way I had Eitanji, you know, moving around on stage. And I felt that that was very helpful to the show. He was like a hype man. He was kind of like a hype man over there, just like making, yes, them, yes. getting people, yes. getting people up out of their seats, doing dancing around. Totally, right. that's so cool. Wow, that is that is like that's really cool. So you have you've you've had you've covered pretty much every single genre it seems in when it comes to music. You've done Broadway, you've done rap, you've done children's songs, you've done you've done Chavez songs, you've done like everything, and oh, yeah. that's yeah, true. You you've really covered the spectrum when it comes to when it comes to music and and it's 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 really wow. <laughs> um, how, so my other what I was going to ask you is like it seemed like you mentioned before you did something with the Maccabees and and it seems like now the next generation of par- of like people are doing parodies like you got the Maccabees you have like Six Thirteen you have all these other different groups who are out there doing parodies trying to do what you do. How do how do you feel like they were probably they probably were were influenced by you that you probably gave them some some tremendous hashba whether you knew it or not but how do you feel about that do you ever speak to these guys and see what their deal is like yeah I do it's an honor it's an honor to be you know I I actually of course they're they're building on me I, but I was building on other people they're building on me it, it makes sense and it's very flattering and. And they're doing what they do. They write what they write and they perform what they perform. And, you know, it's good. It's very good. You know, a lot of their stuff is fabulous stuff, especially they've learned how to, when they do a cappella, their drums, uh, you know, like they have a guy beatboxing, but they trigger it. They trigger the bass drum, they trigger, and it sounds so real. It sounds so real. Um, Right. You know, they use technology better than than lots of people, and uh, you know, they're. I'm, you know, I'm very happy that their their stuff is is very good, and um, you know, I, and they perform also. They go around the country performing a little bit. I don't know how much the Maccabees do a lot of performing. I don't right. know how much Six One Three does. I think they do a, a good deal also. Um, but there's Six One Three, and there's. AKA Pella, great, great stuff. 
there's, know? there's tons of them. No, yeah. it's really, it's really cool that like you have really inspired a a whole new generation of of singers and songwriters and and artists in the Jewish world in the Jewish community to go out there and do what you've done and and bring it out to the to the to this generation. I think it's really cool. Um, I think I think it's phenomenal. So so what else is in store for Schlockrock? What else? I, I mean, again, you're up to like thirty nine four thirty nine albums. Like, has right. anybody ever done that? Has anybody ever accomplished such a feat in in, in our world? Neil Diamond or Tony Bennett is working on like his ninetieth. Wow! <laughs> in the real world, they've got like in the 90th. real world. That's like crazy, but, um, you know. Like you wrote thirty nine. You create come out came out with thirty nine albums. But what does that translate like when it comes to the Jew, when it comes to Jewish music? Like you guys aren't ma- aren't like making millions off of this stuff. Like you're like no Jewish counterparts. <laughs> Not, yet. Like, Not yet. Not yet. But it's 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 crazy though. There was one one I just read in the news that this this Hasidic singer um he just got signed by a real record label. And I thought that yeah, I was like that's a big breakthrough for for Jewish music. Well, it depends. We don't know what his deal is. Right. We don't know. You know, a record deal is not necessarily a great thing. You should. Okay. I mean, okay. In other words, just to all the the potential musicians out there, you don't okay. necessarily want to be signed. You know why? Why? Because they own you. You can make more money doing it yourself. <laughs> so the real question is, what are they going to do for Shulam, and what is Shulam going to do for them? I, I, I'm not. You know, it is. A, it sounds impressive. It's a. It's an impressive thing. But you right. know, what I mean, how how much is he going to really benefit? I mean, oh, he might get an advance. But is he going to have a song that goes top 10, top 40, or top 100? I kind right. of doubt it. I mean, I'm not... No, for sure. Jewish music is for Jewish... You know... It's a specific audience. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to extend it to Noahides. Okay. You know, I'll extend it to evangelical Christians who love coming to Israel and love hearing Hebrew in the liturgical songs in the liturgical Hebrew. But right. That's Mostly, it. it's for Jewish people. Now, right. we have a situation where 85% of the Jewish people have not yet bought into the Torah or the 613 commandments where they're observing it on a semi-regular or regular basis. So, you, you know, you, you, how much is there in terms of saleability? Where you talk about making millions. You can't really make millions. Now, right. you can, you can make money performing. You could perform at weddings and bar mitzvahs and, and get a fee doing that. You right. can, but you, you know, so I know we'll have to see how the Shulam thing breaks out, how it turns out for him. Bezrat Hashem. It was a lot of PR. I'll tell you, it was good PR. For sure. No, it's, I was wondering because like someone like you has created 39 albums. Like how do you, how do, how do you, how do Jewish singers make their money? I feel like it's the same. I guess it's, I think it's, you know, it's a really small market, like a small market. So, so in, the, in the old days, all of my albums made money. Now they didn't sell more than fifteen thousand units per per okay. project. But remember, you're making a high quality, low budget production, <laughs> and you have to be good at that. So I right. thank God that's one of my, you know, that's you know, you say what do you need to be an accountant for? The answer is. The accounting was 
is the thing I think that's it's one of the reasons that we're still going after 33 years because I manage my own books. I I understand that you don't spend what you don't have. You know, you can't put a hundred thousand dollars into an album. You need to do an album for between anywhere from between ten and twenty five thousand dollars. You need to get it underwritten, or you need to get it nowadays. You need to get the whole thing sponsored. But you know, in the old days, we would make money on an album. I mean, Sergeant Schlocker's Magical History Tour was the best selling Schlocker produ- production. Greatest oh wow! One great is a, is a great seller. Um, almost on Broadway, a Shabbat in Liverpool, which is our Beatles. A Shabbat, you know, where we took 27 Beatles songs and put it to Shabbat Fila and Shabbat Zmirot. That wow. did beautifully. Um, the original music sells less because people want to hear the parodies. I'm sure. That doesn't stop me from writing original music because I have to, you know, so. No, for sure. It doesn't stop hey. me from recording. I think, you know, the real fan gets past the parody and starts listening to the originals and then they'll come to me and go, you know, your original music is 10 times better than the parodies. And I go, well, you know, thank you very much. You know, it's all, it's all good. Whatever, whatever you like, you know, there you go. There you go. No, I think it's great. I mean, so so you're up to 39 albums and we see we're working on the four corners project and God willing, hopefully you'll get David of Babylon will come out as as a full length feature film. So what else, what else, what else is in the works for Schlockrock? Cause I see we're keep, we, you keep on schlocking. I, I kept telling yeah. that to myself today. I kept saying that to myself today. I kept walking around saying, I'm going to keep on schlocking, man. So, like, right. so what are we doing? Well, the last year and last year we put out a song by um, Justin Timberlake, right? We did can't stop. Can't stop. Oh, yeah, the I, heard I heard that. Can't, can't stop the praying. We did um, a song by uh, walk, walk the moon, shut up and dance with me became Judah Maccabee. Uh, Ed Sheeran um, became uh uh, Torah Jew instead of Shape of You. I'm in love with the Shape of You. So right. how to be a Torah Jew? Um, and we we're cool. doing current songs. So the only thing Schlagrock has to continue. The parodies will be current because the kids need it. The kids of today who haven't really heard of me. Uh, right. um, you know, they're, they're a little bit, but they're not not so much. And right. you said me, why are the little kids? Why aren't the kids growing up hearing about you? The answer is because the world has changed, mm-hmm. and and the the, the they're not listening to it they're not they're listening to original you know non-jewish music or they're going to to the right you know they're right. not jewishly they're not listening for the for the parody right. so much but um yeah, I, you know sure. i'm still doing it we're still doing that i'm writing original music i i think i'm going to make more uh, big productions. I love the big productions. So, of course, first we have to get Daniel and Babylon off the ground. That has to go to production. That would be fantastic. And then, um, and you know, we'll do more webisodes. Uh, we'll do some. We'll do some more music videos. I think uh, there's a lot to do. There's a lot cool. to do still. Great. That's awesome. Keep on schlocking. You have any advice that you want to give? I mean, you've been around now for again, close, like you've been doing this for over thirty years more. Do you have any advice you want to give to any up and coming artists, anybody who's trying to get in on the Jewish music scene, or just trying to make a name for themselves and and start in this in this world? Do you have any advice you want to give to give to our listeners who are potentially in in this situation? Yes, sure. 
the, the biggest advice I can give you is to perform and to perform and to keep performing and to get to the point where you can get up in front of a stage without preparation, whether you're playing to 10 people or 10,000 people and not be nervous and be so comfortable in your own skin that it's as mm -hmm. like you've invited 10,000 people into your living room and you're talking to them like I'm talking to you now. That's when you do 2000 shows, that's where you get to. Wow. You, that's where you're at. doesn't matter. You can do anything. I, I have gotten up in front of situations and actually made up songs on the spot <laughs> and nobody knew. Wow. That's I mean, I'm, that's the, the comfort level. So the, Wow. The, the two things that I wanted to tell you is you have to perform. You have to keep performing. And, and of course, before you perform, write material. Write. Don't go out there and play everybody else's songs. Write your own music. But you have to have something to say. And I always find that, that when you learn, you write. Whatever you're learning, you're inspired. So if you're, if you're writing, if you're, if you're learning a manual on making a car, on building a car, or or whatever, mm -hmm. then you can write a song about building a car. If you're, if, but if you're learning a Judaism, then stuff will come out that is Jewish related. It's it's natural. So I would say the input breeds output. So whatever you're learning, keep that that will help your writing. And you have to keep writing. Write new material. Write material. Go into the studio. Try to find the studio where the engineer is excellent. Don't do it yourself. My, my first advice is don't do it yourself. I know there were people out there that got their own home studio. I'm not for that. I'm for you use your engineer. The engi let the engineer know more than you, the technology. You concentrate on your craft, and then he concentrates on his. And, right. then, and then you put that out, and then you perform. And then you go out and you perform, and you take your stuff. And that's what I did. I mean, my, you, there are two ways to make it big. One is to have so much money that you flood the market with advertising, <laughs> and everybody knows your name, and that's one way to make money, if you make money. And the other way is to pick up your suitcase of CDs or downloads or whatever it is. It's a little bit easier because you only have downloads. You don't have to bring CDs anymore. Right. And, and you go out there and you perform and you sell your project, product, and you, and you push it, and you, and you make awesome. friends with people, and you meet people, you know? That's great. I got I got one more question for you before we wrap it up here. Um, okay. What what was the what was your well actually it's two two questions I've been wondering this for a while. What was your favorite What was your favorite show you ever played, and what was the largest crowd you've ever played to? The loud the largest crowd was the Baltimore Civic Center in Baltimore, Maryland, for the opening ceremonies of the Maccabi Games. I think it was. 14,000 people. Wow. Uh, my favorite show was a bunch of them. I have a bunch of them. I'll tell you, one of them was <laughs> Wembley when we played the Wembley Conference Center in London. 1,500 screaming kids. That was amazing. Wow. I'll tell you another great, great show we had. 1989, 1990, January 1990, we played Pardes Chana, an army base for girls that were training to be in the army. They had been in the army for two weeks, and they this was their night event. And we had the entire band because I was making filming a music video, a video, um, and so we played 
uh, in Israel, Pardes Chana, for screaming uh, female soldiers. That was, uh, it was a, oh, I felt like I was Springsteen and Billy Joel all rolled into <laughs> one. We, from the minute we started playing till the minute we stopped, they never stopped dancing. We didn't even, couldn't even speak the language that back then. Couldn't even speak the language. Hebrew. Wow. But we, but we just played and they went crazy. Wow. Um, it was 1990. So that was two of my really fun shows um, that, that come to mind. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I can think of. Well, well, we did two shows at Queens College that were fantastic. Uh, but we, you know, all the all the shows are good. All all of them are good. But you know, there, there's certain, there are certain ones that just, you know, yeah, they pop out at you. Playing the Venetian Room in Las Vegas, that was good. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, how, was for Chabad. That was for oh, Chabad. Okay, I was going to say, how'd you hook that one up? That makes sense. Yeah, so wow. Chabad, the, the biggest donor to Chabad of Vegas at the time was Bob Aram, who's involved in the Venetian Hotel. He might even own it. I don't even know. And <laughs> we played that room. Yeah. That's so cool. Wow. Well, Lenny, it has been an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show, to learn about Schlockrock, to learn about the history of it, to really understand, like, decades of Jewish music like right here it's almost two almost three decades of Jewish music right here and it just keeps going you you keep on you keep schlocking you keep on schlocking and and that's it man that you you've coined that catcher you coined that phrase keep on schlocking and and that's it you're gonna keep on going and it really it seriously was an honor to have you on the show I was looking forward to this interview like all week and I I, I you really you really made my day um, I wish you atzlacha in the Four Corners project. We're gonna we'll put we'll put a little bit of, a little bit more information up about that on our site. Um, and I wish you atzlacha in everything you do. And it's it's seriously like this. This is so cool. I grew up on this stuff, and everybody I know has grown up on your music. And to speak with the man behind Schlock Rock is just awesome. So Lenny, seriously, truly honor, truly an honor, a pleasure to have you on Gosemcha. And we look forward to hearing more awesome music from Schlockrock. And if you guys want to, if you want to, if you guys want to download Lenny's stuff, you can visit Schlockrock.com. You can visit the Four Corners Project website.com. All his information is there, um, and you can stay up to date on the latest tours of Schlockrock and the latest and the latest music and the latest parodies that Lenny and the band are putting out. So, thank you very much. It's great. Thank you for having me. Sure. My pleasure, Lenny. Keep on schlocking and it, it will keep, keep us posted on everything that's going on with Schlock Rock. You've just listened to another wonderful episode of Go Simple the Podcast. For more news, updates, and information on our next episode, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram at Go Simple Live, and don't forget to check out the show notes and videos on www.gosimcha.com along with zeradio.com. Thanks for listening, and remember, go Simcha!